Does anybody know what the word murder means? Debbie? It's when someone kills someone, like on TV. No, honey. Not like on TV. TV is just pretend. Welcome to Now Playing, the movie review podcast. Are you glad to see me? Yeah, I'm really glad to see you. Hosted by Arnie. You indulge in rash behavior and you worry a lot. Jacob. Deceptiveness and deviousness are totally foreign to your nature. And Stuart. Just because you have this birthday doesn't mean that you're special. Today we are reviewing Bloody Birthday. Can the class be excused from homework next Monday? It's our birthday. Everyone's going to be at the party. A Podbean backer review chosen by Matt Wessel. I, I would just like to say how much I appreciate you coming here today to wish the, the children happy birthday. This podcast is spoiler-filled and contains harsh language. You like your mom and dad aren't home. Listener discretion is advised. Hurry up or you'll miss it. Today, we're blowing out the candles on Bloody Birthday, starring Susan Strasberg, Jose Ferrer. <laughs> he was paid in cake for this movie. <laughs> Lori Lethin, Melinda Cordell, and Just Say Julie Brown. <laughs> Not Wubba Wubba, but Homecoming Queen's got a gun. Because she's a blonde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Directed by Ed Hunt. This is the now playing co-host who's got a mind like an X-rated soap opera, Arnie. And it's your birthday boy, Stuart. And this is the host whose brains are in his bra, Jacob. Happy birthday to me. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> that was a couple weeks ago. Yeah, well, you know, it just keeps giving. Yes, two weeks ago on this day, Arnie had his birthday. We were the same age for two weeks. I have now advanced. And this is what's in the box when I take off the wrapping. <laughs> Bloody birthday, a movie I'd never heard of. I'd seen bits of Happy Birthday to Me. I didn't know what this was. Same here. I knew nothing about this movie. I'd not even seen the box. Like, usually when we find these horror things, I'm like, yeah, I remember that artwork. It was striking artwork. I will say this has striking artwork that I've never seen before. The finger candles on the cake. Yeah, three for three. Never heard of this. And yeah, if I would have seen this artwork, I probably would have checked it out. That is a pretty cool poster with those finger candles and the razor blades in the cake. Well, first of all, Stuart, happy birthday, old man. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> and second of all, don't thank me. Thank Matt, our patron, who pledged so that on my birthday, we did happy birthday to me. And on your birthday, bloody birthday. And he also didn't grow up with this movie. He said he only watched it recently in the past few years, but he'd known about its premise. What he said was he thought it was a tall tale he believed in the playground that you could be born evil because of a comet, or in the case of the movie, a solar eclipse. Hey, we just had one of those. I hope, ladies, you kept your legs together for those <laughs> couple minutes. <laughs> And then he said, then there's Julie Brown going topless. He thought, while well, Happy Birthday to me was an inventive slasher with fun kills on par with Friday the 13th or better. He said, this is a fun pairing because it's on the other end of the spectrum. He thinks this movie is so bad that he'd like to hear us slash into it. So 
Stuart, this is your cake. You get to cut it up. Oh, okay. Very well. Well, you know, this is not my first rodeo when it comes to bloody birthdays. I'd have to say probably my most memorable one also happened on a magical time. My golden birthday. I don't know if you know what a golden birthday is. It's when the year of your age matches the date on the calendar. You only get it once. When I turned 26th on September 26th, I was in a train accident. I was riding an Amtrak from Springfield to Chicago. And a group of teenagers tried to beat the train that I was riding. And one minute I was reading a book. The next minute wheels were flying past my window and the train derailed. And we sat on the side for about eight hours while blind people and smokers walked up and down the aisle. (laughs) Hopefully it wasn't blind people smoking. (laughs) Well, moving from one disaster to another one, let's talk about this movie. Yeah, Bloody Birthday. This one... We reviewed it second. It was Matt's second request, and he got to pick, so we went in his order. There is controversy. Which came out first, Happy Birthday to Me or Bloody Birthday? Both films were really made in the shadow of Halloween and Friday the 13th and all the slashers that were coming out at that time. Bloody Birthday was shot in 1980. It was released in 1981. It wasn't a huge release, but it did get theatrically released. It had to shift distributors. It finally got video release and a theatrical re-release in 86. Yeah, that's what I had read, was that it had been delayed. And my presumption was, and I think they always like to play this up, whenever anything is delayed, right, it's because it's too controversial. It's too bloody. The idea (laughs) of little children doing mass murder was just too hot button, and it took years for us to be prepared for the intensity of a film like this. Is there any blood in this film? (laughs) You know, and that's certainly going to be a complaint I have going into this. There doesn't seem to be a special effects artist working on this. I think it was craft service, right? They just got (laughs) some strawberry jam. Well, there was a special effects guy there. Really? Yeah. He's in the credits. Is it the same name as the craft service person? (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm betting. I got the special edition Blu-ray of this movie that had new interviews with star Laurie Lethen and director Ed Hunt. And so I can tell you a little bit about this. I got questions about the transfer because I watched this on DVD. There's times where you could hear static on the soundtrack and there's some really weird cuts. I'm interested to see if they clean that up on the Blu-ray or if that's just part of this film. Hey, let me say... Stuart has often been a pro-grain in movies and doesn't like it when Blu-rays are too cleaned up. This felt like I was in a grindhouse cinema. My own home theater had turned into a grindhouse with this Blu-ray. Like, literally, it feels like the record's skipping at times and you're getting that static because the soundtrack is so bad. At least your Blu-ray, I presume, would have closed captioning. The sound sometimes was so terrible, I couldn't understand what was being said at full volume. I'm like, I can't hear. It. Yes. I was with you, Stuart. I had this turned all the way up, and I'm like, I don't know what they're saying. Three for three. I'm like, do I have to readjust? Did my center speaker, which has the sound, get turned down? I cranked this thing because it sounded like I was listening to an AM radio in the other room. 
<laughs> the next movie I put on, like, if I had tinnitus before, after turning it up this loud and turning something else on, it was worse. I mean, this is poor production values, and there was only so much that I barely heard anything. The picture, the cuts, there weren't cigarette burns, so they had a film negative, obviously, but it was an ugly, not cleaned up, not color corrected. So, Stuart, you want to hone to that film original. Mm, no, no. I think what I said was I like Jaws to keep its grain. I may want this to just stay away. <laughs> but this idea came from producer Daniel Blatt. Not Children of the Corn? Have that been released yet? Because I feel like this could go with our Children of the Corn. Children of the Corn was still a few years away. Again, though, remember, this was started in the very late 70s. It actually went to film in the 80s, but Halloween. What was Halloween? You start in the beginning, you got little Michael Myers, and he's got his clown mask, and you got the first person POV of him killing his sister. Well, Daniel Blatt, who was producer on a lot of films, he would also around the same time be a producer for The Howling. Oh. We've talked about him. He went on to produce Cujo. Okay. So he wanted to just jump on this. And so they called in this director, Ed Hunt. He got this job off of the movie Plague he did, which actually won some award. It got the Catalonian International Film Festival. Did he make up that film festival so he could award himself? He says it was the second most prestigious science fiction festival. Okay. I mean, I've heard actually heard of it, but yeah. All right. What about his erotic thriller, Diary of a Sinner? <laughs> yeah. And House praised it. Can we just say right now, this looks like porn people trying to go legit. Like, finally, they're like, this is going to be the idea that means that I can keep some clothes on part of the time. The most useless bonus feature in all of Now Playing History has to be the 50 minutes I spent listening to Ed Hunt. It's a Blu-ray, right? So they literally put up a still image of Ed Hunt while he talked <laughs> in what sounded like into a telephone for 50 minutes. And mostly he was called in by Daniel Blatt and said, I got this concept for an idea, bloody birthday, go off, write the script. And Ed Hunt is more than upfront. Never really seen any horror films. Knew nothing about horror. Mm. Listening to him talk for 50 minutes, I find it hard to hate on this man because the more I've done now playing, the more I realize that there are just these workmen who make films and they're out there hustling, just trying to be in the film industry. And this is one of those. He said that he moved to Hollywood. He called 300 film studios before he got his first job. He'd worked for free on films just to build his resume. And he went on to do some films and eventually was brought in, yeah, for Bloody Birthday and... This really was one of the last films he did. He he did a couple horror films five years later. And apparently he worked on the video game, The Jungle Book, The New Adventures of Mowgli in 95. I don't know. <laughs> video games barely had dialogue in 95. You didn't need no story in 95 for a video game. All I got out of listening to this guy talk for 50 minutes is he really wants you to buy his book on how to be a screenwriter <laughs> and how to be a movie producer. I I seen this movie he ain't got no insight on that how ironic i want to give him a book on how to write a screenplay and direct a movie so i'm gonna give him some kudos he apparently had never seen halloween had not seen friday the 13th the one making this friday the 13th apparently came out while this was filming and yet 
without any knowledge of what he was doing, he made a ripoff that's used pretty closely to the source material. Yeah, you sound like the teacher that's going to give a D minus to the student who admitted they didn't read the book for the book report. <laughs> For not having read the book, you showed quite insight. Thanks for telling the truth. This is still horrible. <laughs> and hey, we got Julie Brown here. I actually wrote as a joke when I'm watching the credits, oh, Julie Brown, thinking Brown's a very common last name and Julie is not an uncommon first name. And for those in our generation, I probably don't have to tell this, but for anyone older than us by more than two years or younger than us by more than five, <laughs> there was a brief period on MTV where there were not one, but two Julie Browns on at any given time. It's very confusing. <laughs> one was an African-American girl. Downtown Julie Brown. Who you can now hear on the 90s on 9 on Sirius XM. She's a DJ for them now. The other was Julie Brown, Miss Julie Brown. Or I'd heard her called Just Say Julie Brown because she had the MTV show Just Say Julie because she was a stand-up comedian after this. She somehow retained her sense of humor. She's a stand-up comedian in this. <laughs> She's a soft porn actress in this. <laughs> she got something standing up in this. I'll say that. But... I wrote as a joke in my notes, I'm like, is this downtown Julie Brown or just say Julie Brown? I mean, it actually is just say Julie Brown. I'm like, what the hell? And I didn't even recognize her. Like halfway through the movie, I remind myself, wait, isn't Julie Brown in this? She's not doing that Valley Girl talk in this. No, because if you haven't seen her MTV show, and I expect none of you have. Or Shakes the Clown. Yeah, she's known for Shakes the Clown or Earth Girls Are Easy, where she sang Because I'm a Blonde. So that's probably where you would know her from. And like midway through this movie, she makes a specific facial expression. I'm like, oh, my God, it was the lady who was naked half the movie. <laughs> I had a similar reaction. It was a real I actually really liked Julie Brown. I bought her cassette. I, it wasn't even a CD at that time. I bought her cassette in the mid 80s. I was such a fan. And wow. I was shocked that yes, it comes to the moment where she's leaning towards the people. I was like, <gasps> I cannot believe it. Yeah, I did not know she did nudity, let alone an entire striptease dance for us in this film. Again, soft porn. This would be on Showtime at midnight, Skinamax. And she's dating the American Ninja, Michael Dudikoff. I think this is his <laughs> first film as well. But, you know, let's get into it. Arnie, why don't you give him this extremely good plot that we should buy a book to, <laughs> to learn more yeah. how to craft? And then we can enjoy my bloody birthday. On June 9th, 1970, during a solar eclipse... Three women go into labor in Southern California. Well, now it's June 1980, and the children's 10th birthday approaches. They are now Debbie, who is the daughter of the town sheriff, nerdy electronics whiz Curtis, and little nondescript blonde boy Steven. They can't even come up with characterization for three <laughs> killers in this film. Steven's parents, the, that actor, they had to be like showbiz parents. They were like, we want him in the movie, but he can't kill anybody. He can't do anything. <laughs> Give him nothing. He swings a bat. I think that's all he does. The three are the closest of friends, and they all lack a conscience. As they're about to enter their tenth year, they begin a killing spree through the town. First, they kill two random teenagers about to have sex in the local graveyard, strangling one with Debbie's jump rope. When the jump rope handle is found at the scene, they then bash in the head of Debbie's father, Sheriff Brody. 
Next, they try to kill schoolmate Timmy Russell by locking him in an abandoned freezer, but Timmy narrowly escapes. He tells his older sister Joyce, but the high school senior calls her brother a pathological liar. But Joyce starts to believe after she finds the body of the kid's teacher, Miss Davis. The three tween psychopaths start to worry about people believing Joyce, so at their birthday party, Curtis tricks Joyce, causing her to tell everyone Curtis poisoned the birthday cakes. When it's not true, Joyce is disregarded. And I just want to point out, no one dies on the actual birthday. <laughs> I know, it's so infuriating. Painful. How can you get that wrong? Buy his book, you'll find out how to write a tight script <laughs> like that and get it that wrong. But Julie Brown plays Joyce's friend, Beverly Brody, Debbie's older sister. And if we're interjecting, why is it all Debbie? Why couldn't one of the boys have the father who's the sheriff? Then it gives the boys nothing to do. But Debbie's older sister, Beverly, discovers Joyce was right about the kids when she finds Debbie's scrapbook showcasing their kills. But Debbie kills Beverly with a bow and arrow. This loss of her daughter, plus her share of husband, causes Debbie's mother, who is given no name in the credits except Mrs. Brody, <laughs> to be hospitalized for unnamed psychological reasons. So Debbie sets a trap for Joyce, asking the teenager to babysit her while her mother is gone. Joyce agrees, taking Timmy with her. There, the two are ambushed by the three children, but they overpower the kids. They catch Curtis and Stephen, who are arrested, but Debbie convinces her now-released mother she is innocent, and so they go on the run. And under an alias at some hotel, Debbie's mother makes Debbie promise to be a good girl, which the little blonde does with a smile. But in the background, we see she pulled out a jack, dropping a semi-truck on a trucker's head as credits roll. Mm-mm-mm. Well, as you mentioned, this starts with the solar eclipse. I was there when it happened in Carbondale just last month. And you still have your eyesight. <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> and if you're trying to make a movie about birthing evil babies, find the money to get inside the hospital. Here, it's very clear. <laughs> it's very clear that these important scenes that they need, these shots that are essential for the movie, they're trying to fudge by just showing static photos of the eclipse and getting like a real run and gun shot of a woman, a nurse. She looks like she's on smoke break. The nurse standing outside a hospital with Jose Ferrer walking into it. They need to establish there are three different women having babies at the same time. No, Stuart, they do. And thank God they show that eclipse because I can't understand anything that's being said when Jose Ferrer mm -hmm. walks up. I don't know what's going on, but I'm like, ooh, eclipse. That's making someone bad. And I was able to make out. It's a boy. It's a girl. It's a boy. I'm like, okay, there's three people. They're either going to be the killers or people are going to want to kill them for some reason because there's an eclipse. Perfect shorthand, I guess. No, I cranked <laughs> this thing. I hope you're not a lip reader because their lips are not matching their words at all. I think Jose Ferreira was really saying, where am I going? Why are you following me with this camera? <laughs> Yeah, they're completely bow-fingering it. I don't know what Jose Ferrer is doing in this movie. He's not doing Lawrence of Arabia, I can tell you that. This is his biggest scene. He shows up again later, but I expected mid-movie he would show up and explain why these three kids being born are bad. Yeah, Donald Pleasance, right? That's his job. Show up and tell us about the evil. Yeah, exactly. But no, we're getting this shot, yes, outside the hospital. We do get... 
a nurse telling him that there are three women in labor, to which he helpfully replies, you can sure forget about watching that eclipse, because you're going to watch some other big thing. Is that what the nurse was doing? Was she going to go blind watching an eclipse? I think she did, and I think I went blind, too, watching this whole thing. So, yeah, we move quickly away. It's really frustrating that it's all handled in voiceover that is poorly recorded. Like, you can't hear what's being said. I had to go back and rewind to realize it wasn't triplets. It was three different women. Oh, I didn't even know that. I tried going back. I still I didn't matter how many times I listened to this audio. I couldn't barely understand anything. All right. That doesn't matter. The point is that it's their 10th birthday where they turn evil. So why does nothing happen to their birthday and everything happened the week before and the week after? That is only three minutes of the film. We have the opening credits. We have the outside the hospital stuff. And then, yes, we're told we're in Meadowvale, California, June 1st, 1980. And we're just seeing two teenagers make out. And why are these two targets? There are so many questions as to why. You you know why? Because they decide to fuck not just in a cemetery, but they go down into a dugout grave <laughs> to fuck. Like, that is the dumbest thing in the world. That's very helpful. And, you know, they're children. How can they be expected to dig the graves? Why not just get <laughs> inside the crypt? For them, this was very helpful. I thought it was very nice. But I actually am admiring this teenage boy with the game Ambulance. I hadn't heard that one. It was pretty clever. You know, he's playing Ambulance. His hand goes off her leg till she says stop for red light. And ambulances don't stop for red lights. If I was a teenager, that's a line I'd put in my arsenal to use. That's a movie you put in your repertoire. Yeah, it is, actually. (laughs) If I was still needing to do that sort of thing, yes. And if you're a fledgling killer, would your signature weapon be a jumping rope all right so let's look at where we're at there's two movies that i kept thinking about in this film and neither of which apparently the writer slash director had seen the first is the omen right where you have the child who's born evil and just has it in him to kill there's several of those movies it's alive rosemary's baby but yeah the omen sure yeah, I mean, Rosemary's Baby ended with the birth, though. We never saw the kid kill anybody. Yeah, but It's Alive is about a killer baby. Yeah. And then I was thinking Halloween, and as I already mentioned, how you have the kid at the beginning in the clown mask, first-person POV. I find it hard to believe that Ed Hunt hadn't seen at least that portion of it when writing this, but that's what this really felt like to me. There's a granddaddy of one, too, the Bad Seed. If you go back to the 50s, even before Psycho, they dress this little Debbie girl just like the main character. She's this innocent blonde who was going for a spelling bee. Someone else beat her, and then later she's seen with the winning medal, and where did the boy go? Well, she killed him. And- it would have been nice to have some kind of motivation, because we're going to ultimately be told <laughs> that Solar Eclipse, I don't know, blocked out their Saturn vibes, <laughs> so they don't have a conscience. The- aspiring high school astrologist who doesn't want to go to college to be a reporter fake news (laughs) i don't understand joyce but we'll get to her if we're to take what joyce says later on as gospel and in absence of any other explanation let's take it because the moon and the sun were blocking saturn from the earth children born during this eclipse had something missing from their personalities and in this case it's what their consciousness yeah Yeah. emotion they don't feel which doesn't necessarily even mean that you go kill 
kill people. I mean, they're not related to these teenagers having sex. There's no relation to these teenagers having sex. And it's just a way to get the story going here. Which, again, just like Happy Birthday to Me, if that was a crazy, weird ghost mom possessing her child, I would have gone with that. But you're saying Joyce? She's a high school student? Yes. I thought she was studying college. And I'm like, they really have an astrology major in a college? Like, (laughs) that is fake stuff. She's also a teacher's aide at the elementary school. I don't even know what she's doing. She may be pregnant. She's introduced making a pickle sandwich. (laughs) I pieced together from several bits of the movie. We do find out that her boyfriend is going to college next year. He is spending most of the movie studying for an exam. No, he's at college this year. Yeah, he's going to blow off his finals to hang out with Joyce. Bad idea. Right. But she's writing, I think, the astrology charts and columns for either the school or the local paper. And that's how we see her. At the beginning here, she's actually reading the chart for Brenda's boyfriend, Willard Simpson. She just has so many textbooks. I swore she was studying astronomy, <laughs> not astrology, at the beginning here. But no, the fact that she thinks you don't have to go to college to be a journalist, I don't even understand this character. Well, apparently you don't have to go to college to write screenplays and write a book about screenplays. <laughs> yeah, what do you expect this screenwriter to advocate? A good education? Hardly. And here's something that they do that I think that they should have thought more about. Her younger brother, Timmy, is going to climb through the window and kick over a knife and give a bad explanation about what he was doing creeping around at night. We just saw a scene of some kid killing two teenagers in the cemetery. Obviously, we're being misdirected into thinking he is that killer. Until the next scene. Exactly. Couldn't they have teased a little bit longer? Should they have even shown us the solar eclipse thing until later in the movie and have the astrologer figure it out and have it be a revelation instead of announcing there's three evil kids in the opening and then say, yeah, but it may be this other kid. Well, that is the shock of the movie. You go to the next day at school and I thought it was like, bring your daddy to work day or, you know, career (laughs) day, have your parent talk about their career. No, apparently this cop is interrogating like a second grade class or something, (laughs) third grade class to see if any of them are their murderer because what was used to strangle Duke and Annie was a jump rope. And okay, maybe he didn't see Halloween. I doubt it, but maybe he didn't. But this director saw Jaws. Sheriff Brody? Yes. And the score later on. Oh my yes, God. It's right from Jaws. It's painful. I, ooh. No, it is so obvious that Jaws is an influence here. Everybody saw Jaws. He can't say he didn't see Jaws. But come on, how could he not see Halloween? First of all, there's the scene with the two girls, Julie Brown and... I'm just going to call her Julie Brown, whereas everybody else is a nobody, so I'll call them by their character name. Well, Beverly is the Julie Brown character and her friend Joyce. The main character is Joyce. So they're walking down the sidewalk. Joyce is carrying all her school books... And talking about a boy she, or a teacher she likes, whereas Beverly is all about going and screwing her boyfriend. This scene is straight out of Halloween. And then the girl Sheriff Father pulls up just like in fucking Halloween. I'm sitting here. They're even, I think, on the same goddamn Pasadena streets. Well, this is in Glendale. I don't know where Halloween was filmed, but this, when I looked up it on IMDb, it's Glendale, which is kind of close to Pasadena. The actress said they were in Pasadena. Okay, this, so they might have done some shooting there, too. And there are two names on this screenplay, so maybe co-writer, director Ed Hunt somehow missed Halloween, but I'm sure his collaborator, Barry Pearson, 
Jackson knew exactly what he was doing. And again, they're needing to do that. You get the sense that there hasn't been enough representation of the slasher genre for them to have a good sense about what they should be doing. So yeah, they're going to throw in a shower scene later. They're going to throw in Jaws references. They're going to throw in Halloween. They're pulling from the known hits. The Bad Seed, all of it. Yes, the co-writer, Barry Pearson, future executive producer of Divorce Court. Mm. (laughs) What tells me right away that here's your bad kids, when Debbie, Steve, and Curtis, they walk up to Miss Davis, their teacher, and they're like, can we not get homework next week on our birthday? Which, guess what? Their birthday's June 9th. This year, in 2017, that was the last day of school in California, June 9th. So I don't even know (laughs) why they're getting homework on the last day of school or the last week of school. I did think it was strange that this was all going on in June. Usually when I was in grade school, I don't know about now for kids, but June 1st-ish was about the end of school. We might go a couple days more, snow days hit or something. But yeah, are they piloting the year-round school program? (laughs) There is no end of school in sight for them. Yeah, but when Debbie and the other two are cool with having to do homework on their birthday. I'm like, all right, I know who the killers are now. I mean, never mind how they were acting with Debbie's dad when he's asking questions about the murder. Now, it's just obvious, and it blows my mind that they're going to reveal it this soon, who the killers are. I'm going to defend this film a little bit. These three kids reminded me very much of me as a kid with Kristen, the little girl who I mentioned on my birthday story, who was a long-haired blonde who looked a hell of a lot like Debbie, and this little blonde kid we hung around named Billy who ended up burning down his own house. So I actually kind of felt for these three and their little hijinks. Yes, it is something that kids do when they are exploring and this doesn't signal that they're evil because they're peeping toms or that she's pimping out this peep show here it just says they're hitting puberty awfully young but you know it happens curiosity but unfortunately we do know that they are the killers too early because instantly their brilliant plan is to put a skateboard on the back steps and when daddy comes walking in he's going to step on it and fall and break his neck Hold on, I don't think you spent enough time talking about Julie Brown naked. I need to rewind here. (laughs) I I feel like if Arnie recommends this, I know I didn't recommend it. (laughs) There is a very long scene of Julie Brown, not just... It's a whole musical number. It's like like a whole song. And it's not because I'm a blonde. And she's not just topless, she's bottomless. It may be from the back, but she's completely naked. I gotta give her some credit for confidence. I'm sensing no nervousness off of her. And then there's also just some confidence in putting on red jeans with no panties. (laughs) I was confused by the whole thing. And again, I didn't at this point recognize her as my childhood favorite Julie Brown. Who would have done this for a laugh, honestly, on her show? This whole dancing around with a boa and coke bottle feels like some kind of joke that she would make later. But here, I think it is supposed to be sexy. And that song is... I don't know, Leonard Skinner, Foghead. I don't know where they got it, but it is completely wrong. Yeah, that is just an 
astonishingly bad scene, but it goes on for so long. This is not a long movie. This movie... It's under 90 minutes. Yeah, it sits around 90 with credits and everything. So to spend a couple minutes of it ogling Julie Brown dancing with a boa is certainly not what I expected. Now, I'm not complaining, mind you, but I am wondering exactly what's happening on this birthday. <laughs> and I did love the ingenuity, though. Again, another mild compliment. This little girl who plays Debbie, Elizabeth Hoy, I don't think she ever went on to do anything, but she has a wonderful, devious smile. She is very well cast in this role. Yeah, Debbie and Curtis, Steve is just a blank slate. Not much going on in Steve's head, but... Debbie and Curtis, they do seem like mischievous killer kids. Apparently, Elizabeth Hoy was daughter number three in the Blues Brothers, too. Brilliant. (laughs) I gotta wonder, too, the dancing would distract, perhaps, from the fact that on the wall of Beverly's bedroom is what looks like a picture of her father. Yes, I was wondering that. I'm like, why is she dancing naked in front of a big poster of her dad? That's not Plotcher John from Chips. Yeah, again, it made me really start to be like, there's something kind of creepy and pervy here. And when the father comes strutting in, I'm sorry, something went off. I'm like, that French tickler mustache and all. I'm like, these are porn actors. (laughs) This is not a real production. These are people that are like, we're tired of whipping it out and we want to be real, (laughs) legit actors now. How dare you say that about Burt Kramer, who plays Sheriff Brody? And what else has he done? He might be called Brett Kramer in this movie, but he's Dirk Degler in anything else (laughs) he's ever done. You're talking about the guy from CBS Afternoon Playhouse. You're talking about Computron from the Transformers. You're talking about an actor who was even in Volcano with Tommy Lee Jones. As what? Some background character. L.A. <laughs> fire chief, damn it. <laughs> With a mustache like that, how could he not land that role? But again, the death scene that they've inspired here. Here's the thing. If you're not going to hide the fact that these kids are doing it, and they could have done that. They later will don a mask and, you know, you could have had a who done it about which kid in this classroom really is pulling the pranks. But if you're going to just make it, these are the three and they're evil and every time they show up, then make it bloody. Make these attacks really like over the top grandiose and shock us. What's so frustrating is that when they do kill, it looks so lame. Chief Brody like steps out and just walks around that skateboard. So I think this is the one time Steve gets to kill someone. He busts out the baseball bat and I'm like, that little kid don't have the strength to kill someone with a baseball bat unless that eclipse gave him some magical powers. He keeps hitting though. He's swinging for the fences. Yeah, that's Steve's finest moment in this film. I don't, again, I think his parents wouldn't let him do anything else. He's like, he is not going to get bloody. I mean, the other ones, they do have blood on their hands, but he really doesn't do anything. They also tell us real early that Timmy's not involved. Yeah. He spots them beating up the chief, and that's when they fake that, oh, no, he did slip on the skateboard and hurt himself. Yeah, I feel really bad, actually, for Mrs. Brody here, because she's going to lose her husband, she's going to lose her daughter, but... Those two kids, I mean, yes, Curtis gets to do some tech stuff, 
but Steve gets nothing. I think they made a real bad choice by having three kids and making two of them completely non-persons. We barely see their parents, if we see them at all, maybe at the birthday party. There's a weird scene with Curtis where, yeah, he's put together some light bulbs or something for his grandfather, who we'll see one more time. I don't even know what's going on in that scene. I guess it's to set up that he can mess with the security system later on. Yeah, it was showing him as a tech whiz. <laughs> Let me float an idea here. What if Timmy was the third kid and then we could see him struggling with why do I want to kill and going to his sister asking about. But then you would have conflict in this film and that's part of screenwriting. <laughs> Seriously, though, I think you're going with a slasher film type thing. That's too deep. That's something you do today. This is 1980 when this was being filmed. Let's just go with we're having murderers. And sure, if you want to have multiple kids and go with that kind of children of the damned sort of idea, that's fine. I think that there should have been more at stake for Timmy, that there's more trying to frame him. I think they should have tried to kill him better. I mean, when they decide, okay, he knows too much. Come on, it's 1980. Of course you get locked in the fridge. Well, make sure it's a fridge with, like, an actual seal. Like, this thing is not airtight here. He's able to, like, breathe just fine. No, he's suffocating by the time he gets out. That actor is selling me he has no air. <laughs> but that fridge is not. I mean, look at the thing. There's clearly a crack in it. There's light streaming through. He gets out of it by sticking metal through the doorway and flipping the lock. I absolutely love how he has a little pen light and he takes off the front. And then all of a sudden, somebody turns on a floodlight from the end. Yeah! Yes, yes. He MacGyver's the shit out of that fridge. <laughs> that pen light's going to come back and like that's how Joyce is going to start believing him because she finds like I had five younger siblings. I didn't know if they had stupid clowns on their pens. All right. I think the biggest mistake of this movie, though, mm. is there's no motive for who they target. There's two people who have a motive. It seems like every other killing's unmotivated. The two at the beginning, okay, they're kind of following the horror movie rule. Here's some teenagers who get naked to have sex. You kill them. That's what you did in Friday the 13th. It's the sin death, but they're nobody to these kids. But maybe it's the kids saying, hey, let's practice with death. Killing the sheriff, okay, that he found the handle of the jump rope but now why do they want to kill timmy couldn't we see something timmy spotted them with the sheriff though mm. i think they know timmy now yeah that's exactly what it is is they, they believe timmy knows too much even though he's wooed by debbie's charms anytime she smiles at him he quickly gets over it and you know nothing else seems to matter well he also knows about that people we'll find out later so yeah. I, I guess he doesn't want to ruin his chances with that that's why he was coming over actually yeah i think he's paid his quarter yeah, he will eventually come clean to Joyce about that, who, yeah, boy, this is not the heroine we want, right? Her big scene is saying the United States has a horoscope chart just like people, and that every 20 years, whoever is president dies? I looked this up. It's actually pretty true. What? Okay, follow me on this, all right? I went backwards. Now, in 1980, Reagan was elected. He is the first person to break this chain. He was shot. He huh? was shot. Well, and that's because Nancy was big into astrology. She probably read the charts and warned him. Oh, <laughs> there it is. And W, of course, had nothing go wrong. Yeah. But in 1960, who was elected? JFK. Yeah, okay. 1940, Franklin D. Roosevelt died in office. Okay, so died in office. It yes. was not murdered. No. 1920, Harding died in office. 1900, McKinley died in office. 1880, Garfield died in office. 1860, Lincoln. 
1840, Harrison, seven consecutive presidents who were elected on a 20 year all died. All right, I take it back. She is a brilliant journalist. Don't spend a damn dime on college. You keep giving us the truth, sister. I take it all back. I had no idea. That's crazy. But James Monroe was elected in 1820, and he did just fucking fine. So it's only seven. It's not back to, like, George fucking Washington. Well, no, still, seven in a row is pretty good. It's it's better than what I thought she was peddling here. And the fact that the editor is just printing all of this and being like, let's talk about this further at lunch. Again, here's a storyline. This is our main character. She's the virginal last girl. She has a boyfriend in college. She's making moves on this married man. I think it's very strange that neither is a victim of these kids. Especially since her boyfriend comes home later for a night of shagging. She's no longer a virgin. She sends Timmy away so she can have a night with her boyfriend. I love Timmy does that like sitcom laugh. Oh, sis, you go, girl, and like goes into his room. <laughs> oh, the score in the opening of this, too. I'm like, am I watching an episode of Wonder Woman or Incredible Hulk? Which of the 70s TV series that I binged <laughs> for now playing is this music from? Not to mention they want to frame her, that ultimately she'll end up learning too much, too, and they want to take her out of the picture. If they start killing people she knows, she suddenly looks like a suspect. What's crazy is these murders go on for weeks and nobody has a single clue. They act like nothing is different. The newspaper says like psycho on the loose. Like <laughs> what they think of journalism here in this film. No paper is going to put psycho on the loose. Actually, they might. I could see that. However... Yeah, the National Enquirer, <laughs> not a legit paper. Or a local paper, which I think this is. I think this is supposed to be a small town, not a suburb of L.A., which is obviously where they shot it. Listen, our local paper would do anything for newspaper sales right now. Psycho on the loose, if it would sell a few extra copies, they would do it. But the thing that gets me is they're really jumping to a conclusion after just the two teenagers in the graveyard are dead and then the teacher gets it because presumably the sheriff is an accident he's not a murder and can i ask you about curtis getting the sheriff's gun sure i figure you'd have to turn in a gun if you're a cop and you die they take that stuff back you don't own it but the fact that they still have that gun sitting around so curtis can get it he's known for running around with a fake replica and he switches it for the real one so he could kill that teacher I don't know if this is after school, like the teacher's trying to clean up her classroom. School's ended for the summer. I don't even know what the timeline is here. And thanks, Curtis. It's because of you, shithead, that I have to buy an orange Star Wars blaster now. Yeah, it's hilarious how nonchalant Miss Davis is about him pointing a gun at her. Oh, put that away or I'm going to confiscate it. This was the wrong move, too. Again, first of all, I want to compliment Viola Davis. Yes, not that one, but she does come from acting royalty. This is Susan Strasberg, daughter of Lee Strasberg, who is the person you went to when you wanted to learn the method acting. This should be a remarkable performance. So this actress, she went in and was a bitch teacher for a while to <laughs> get into this role? Yeah, the lead actress here in her interview did say she wondered what kind of method was being used here to be a method actress being killed. But again, in all of her campy scenes, this evil teacher is, you know, we're supposed to hate her because she's a teacher. She assigns homework. She's, you will listen to me, not the school bell. There's, you don't need much to get the fact that we want to see her dead. But she's got a pencil in her hair. She's sharpening the pencil. Everything is about pencils, pencils, pencils. They just shoot her? That's not the death we want. Why does Curtis cover the gun with his jacket? I thought that was going to be a plot point later on. It muzzle the sound. See, they're brilliant. 
Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm buying the book. Where is that on Amazon? Can I get it right now? Yeah. Or are you buying a coat so that you can muffle your next gunshot? If it's a bloody birthday, we want really creative, gruesome kills. You want Tom Savini here giving us things that really set us off here. Because with a cast so young, maybe you never get great performances, but you need something to heighten these moments. And they need to just draw out the deaths. You know what I want here what I kept going back to was Child's Play 2, and that's never a good thing to go back to, but that was a good death of a bitchy teacher when Chucky was alone in the classroom with her and locked in the closet and had to go after her. And here, this is just a gunshot. But what I think they do well is, for whatever reason, Joyce is that teacher's aide. She's a teacher's aide, astrologist, <laughs> reporter, high school senior, and so she comes in and finds the body. The big question is, will Curtis shoot her too? Well, that's what I was wondering. Like, he's got a bullet hole through his jacket. Can he turn around and say, oh, Joy shot at me? I, I guess I could go with some of these more mundane kills, like a gun. Because it, it feels transgressive to have child murderers, but they need to be bloody. That's where this film fails. Even if the kills aren't creative, at least make them gruesome. So just to juxtapose who's doing those murders with, you know, with kids doing it. I just feel like their kids get off to naked Julie Brown, but then you don't want them shedding too much blood. Yeah, this shouldn't be called bloody birthday. This should be called booby birthday because these <laughs> actors are very comfortable taking off their bottoms and tops. We're going to get a very gratuitous scene of two people in the back of a van get it. Curtis is going to, you know, he's running around trying to shoot a wiffle ball game and people taking out the trash. And I don't even think these people are in their kill scrapbook. They have this book that probably, if it's 1981, should be filled with scratch and sniff stickers, but it also has the clippings for all their murders, and they just decide on a whim that they weren't even plotting this. Curtis just decides, I'm going to kill two more teenagers in a van, and again, these look like porn actors. This is about the titillation of the boobies, but when it comes time for the murder, any gorehound is going to be left flaccid. All right, here's what I'm going to offer as a meager defense of this. Boobies, we already got that part. Yeah, we know. First of all, I want to credit Debbie for starting the scrapbooking craze that has engulfed her generation because scrapbooking wasn't quite the thing back then. No, but I had a sticker book. Sticker books were different than scrapbooks. I had uh, scrapbooks too. They were fun. You would peel back the little plastic and put in all your school photos. Well, no, I had photo albums, but scrapbooking where you would actually take clippings and photos and mix and match the crazy scrapbooking craze that would hit around the turn of the millennium. Yeah, I don't think this is it. I think it started here. <laughs> oh, okay. But also, even if these people didn't quite know what they were doing, and if they didn't have the money for Tom Savini, because according to Lori Lethen, who plays Joyce, it was pretty much filmmaking 101. The actors didn't know how to act, and the filmmakers didn't know how to make films, and they were all learning together. No, this is filmmaking one. There's no 101 yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, I wish they had enrolled in filmmaking 101. It's not even that good, Arnie. But what they have going right is they have three kids who can make good devious faces, especially Debbie. And I agree, those two kids in the van are killed for reasons I can't explain, 
but they know that they can't go too long without a kill, and the kills are happening in varied methods. Nobody's really getting killed the same way twice, and they're happening at a regular interval. Aren't the ones in the van killed with a gun, just like the teacher? Yeah, they absolutely are. It's The fact that they're using a gun is actually really frustrating. A slasher means slashing throats, means blood. I guess because they don't have squibs, because they don't know how to put food coloring in uh, Karo syrup then we just have to get these gunshots and off-screen deaths. The gorehound in me was left lacking, but I do wonder what's going to stop these kids. What caused them to be killers? And we're pretty soon going to get the big astrology reveal that it was the sun, and I'm like... Wait, what? Why isn't Jose Ferrer coming back to tell us this? Yeah, I like the idea of an astrologist coming to this, but I agree. If you have Jose Ferrer and all he does is eat cake, then I think (laughs) you failed, right? You mean eating cake at the birthday where no one dies? (laughs) I know. I thought this would be how you get the movie into the third act, that you have this mass death, and then it's a big chase between Joyce and the three kids. But nope, they're just going to mess with their, pretend to put ant poison in the cake. Given that early in the film, they're like, can we please have no homework on our birthday? Because all the kids are coming to our party. The birthday has to be the climax of the fucking film. Yes. You start before the birthday, you end on the birthday. And honestly, there's this weird thing where people die on their birthday if they're like dying near their birthday, like they make it to their birthday and die. I've seen this happen a lot in my own life. And you have? Yeah. I ain't going to this one. I'm leaving right now. <laughs> <laughs> Get away from me. It's like they hold on just till their birthday and then they finally give up the ghost. And so there's some symmetry if these kids were born on the same day that they died 10 years earlier. So I was just stunned. When there was a birthday party, I'm like, wait, is Timmy having his birthday before the kids? You mean this is really the kid's birthday? And they're soldiering through even though the sheriff is dead and Joyce is there. She knows a kid is responsible because she was in the junkyard. They had lured her there and tried to run her over. So she's got to know someone at this party tried to kill her. But I guess that's the whole point. They're trying to make her look paranoid so that no one will believe her when she's starting to put together which three children are really in on it. And it's a clever ruse to pretend to poison the frosting by having it obviously behind your back. And when Curtis is asked what's behind your back, you see it's insect poison. And so she goes running out, don't eat the cake, don't eat the cake, slapping it out of people's hands. It's a rather fun scene. Get out of the water, get out of the water. Yes, I saw Jaws. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, she's slapping it out of the hands. Yeah, straight from Jaws. Yeah, like so much of this. And again, that's not always a complaint. I get sometimes things just are ripoffs of others, but no creativity, no spark, certainly no visual delight in any of this. No blood, no death on the birthday. Yeah. The excessive icing we see him putting on the cake is gorier than (laughs) what we see elsewhere. Just think about the diabetes that people are going to get from it. Joyce was really freaking upset about too much frosting on the cake. It's this kid's birthday. If he wants to ice the cake, let him ice the fucking cake. He's killed people and you're pissed off about this icing. Yeah. So anyway, this is the point where she's becoming more suspicious. Beverly, her friend, is also becoming more suspicious. She realizes some of her makeup is missing. She goes to look for it. She finds that scrapbook and then her perfect little angel. She knows her sister is devious. She already knows that she's selling tickets, too. She knows about that hole in her closet. 
No, no. Joyce tells her about it. Yeah, Joyce tells her, and she's awfully nonchalant. I would be like, if Stuart told me, hey, there's a peephole here where people are spying on you, I'd be like, why are you only telling me this now? You didn't just reveal it. Because the way Joyce tells her is like, you know your sister's selling tickets? So Joyce has had this information for a period of time and did not immediately tell your friend, hey, stop undressing for all the neighborhood tween perverts. Well, maybe now we're learning something about Beverly then. But my point is she knows about it by the time it comes for her death scene where she is foolishly walking up to the hole, hearing a knocking behind, and her little sister is waiting with the arrow. She's done this a couple times. There was an earlier scene where Beverly and her boyfriend were making out on the bed, and the sister was just kind of jabbing the arrow through the hole in a very phallic way, and now she's going to get the kill in. This, I thought, okay, this is going to be a cool kill. Arrow through the peephole. No. Not bloody. They blow this one, too. The sister, later, the mom finds her mopping it up, and she said she just spilled some rouge. I'm like, that's what it looks like what i did like it's a simple effect of just having julie brown hold the arrow with her hand but oh it's an obvious effect it's not simple it's so obvious that she's already stabbed the editing is awful here yeah yeah the poorly timed exactly she's holding the arrow inflicted with the wound before the sound is even made it's still the best death in this movie is the arrow (laughs) to the eye i mean i guess i'll say the funniest part of this movie debbie is getting the mom to not pay attention while curtis and steve are dragging these children <laughs> continuously drag adult bodies around somehow but my favorite cut is like you just see Beverly lying on the grass <laughs> and then flash cut to the funeral I had to pause the movie and just crack up because it, there's still no suspicion about these kids when two people in this family died and just this quick cut to a funeral we're Debbie is wearing the same clothes as her dad's funeral. Yes, I thought it was a flashback. I'm like, I thought we were flashing back to the sheriff's funeral because it's filmed like with a Gaussian lens or something that's going on. There's some filter over it. I thought that this was some flashback of some sort showing Debbie crying. But no, it turned out that this is funeral number two when they only have one nice thing to wear to a funeral. Yeah, if you're in Meadowvale, you gotta invest in your kid's funeral clothes. You're going to go to a lot of them. It's not the only time Debbie wears the same dress. She has that white shirt and skirt on for three days in a row. There is no money for this movie. And there are no parents either. I want to point out that her father has had some kind of health scare so they decide to like hike the Appalachian Trail or something. Like (laughs) They're on this hike for months! But occasionally calling in and being like, everything okay? No, Dad. Actually, everyone in this town is being murdered. Could you get your ass back? (laughs) Yeah, I think they're trying to de-stress him. Like, he was having hypertension or heart trouble. They don't want him to worry about the murder, so go hike some more. After that, I think... Timmy is about to start the final confrontation because this kid comes up to the three killer children and starts throwing rocks. I'm like, it's Timmy, right? I thought it was Timmy too. And then I had to cross that out when I realized, nope, just some random kid throwing rocks at their house. Yeah, just some kid who runs to Timmy's house and is saved by Timmy's sister. Who the fuck is this kid? There was someone in the first scene in the class that threw like a spitball or something at Curtis for being a nerd. Uh, It could have been. I'm supposed to remember that from 80 minutes ago. I had to watch this movie twice to understand anything. And it's something I noticed. I don't even know if that's the kid. I'm just saying there was a kid established earlier that was throwing something. So maybe. 
Well, at least I don't feel bad that I'm not the only one who thought it was Timmy. I mean, he's age-appropriate, he's got the same hair color, dresses alike, and then runs to Timmy's house. I thought he was luring the kids into a trap. I thought it was Timmy setting a trap, and then he was running to Joyce, but Joyce just, like, goes and yells at the kids. This is where the film really just goes off the rails. Bonkers funny. Because we haven't mentioned the Brody security system, their state-of-the-art security system. I mean, they got rock-proof glass. You can't break these windows. Bulletproof, even. What is this electronic box? You can't even open the door if you're inside. You're trapped. Thanks to clever Curtis. Normally, it would keep the evil out, but because of Curtis and their plotting, they're going to invite... Joyce, and I guess Timmy over for babysitting, and then it will trap them inside. Oh, I thought he bypassed it so even when they turned it off, the doors wouldn't open. That's what he did. What this is, is it's a master lock, which is incredibly unsafe in case of fire, I will say. I don't believe any security system works this way. Here, this security system isn't just an alarm, but apparently when you turn this key, it locks all the doors, and until you turn the key the other way, you can't unlock them. It locks the doors, it locks the windows. The funniest fucking thing in this to me is there's the close-up when the sheriff was still alive of him arming the house or locking all the doors, and so he turns the key and the light turns green. And then they go cut to the wide shot. The light's off. They couldn't even keep the fucking light on for the security system being on. But yes, this security system will lock people in your house. And with the bypass genius Curtis did, he doesn't need to kill people. He just needs to go into electronics. He has got them trapped. And this is a fairly anticlimactic climax of course they're gonna run out of bullets in this gun they have no ammo they apparently just left it loaded it was 1980 i guess that's what you did he reloads it a few times because i counted to six and it stopped firing and then he started shooting again he reloads a couple of times so he's got ammo somewhere that's why you pack the skipping rope right i wish that they had done more with the kid killer thing you know Kill people with xylophones. Kill people with jack-in-the-boxes, you know? Yeah, yeah, creativity. Yes, exactly. They do have Chekhov's fishbowl, though. Yeah, I noticed that. I'm like, are there piranhas in there? Is that going to eat Steve's face when she throws it at him? (laughs) I don't know exactly why getting a goldfish thrown in your face would disempower you, but she's able to throw Steven, poor, unhappy, underutilized Steven, into some kind of chest and take him out of the situation yeah and they're gonna hogtie curtis here's the weird thing they set up that joyce oh she's the crazy one she ruined the birthday party because she thought there was ant poison i thought there this isn't that creative because it's done in horror movies all the time that the cops were going to show up and joyce was going to get arrested and taken away because look at her abusing these innocent children they don't even go there though happy birthday to me did it and again the point is not to do something beyond what's been done the point is to do something like it's something that sold tickets. <laughs> yeah, I think that you could very easily do that. I thought that was what was going to happen. She's already been proven crazy. They succeeded in that. She's tied up two kids. I thought she was going to be the one going to jail. But no. And the other thing that surprised is, are they setting it up for a sequel? They let 
Debbie get away? Debbie runs away. Her mom was admitted to a psych ward, I'm guessing, and now she's just seen a shrink once a week. Is that where she was? Yeah. Yeah, that, well, that's what they tell Joyce on the phone. Hey, my mom's seen a shrink tonight. Can you come babysit us? Which is weird. Usually the parent calls to hire you as a babysitter, not the child. You would think if this is her last living family member, she might want to keep a tighter eye on Debbie. But you're right. She's going for her session and coming back. And Debbie's just like, hey, Curtis and Steve are back guys we gotta go away no she said i'm going to get blamed for their badness too and so this could almost play like funny satire on parenting if it had been pitched right like if the idea that this mom is such a need to protect her children from criticism that she's going to allow her child to keep killing people and just changing her name that might be kind of funny in a different kind of movie and this movie is just inexplicable well it is set up if i was curtis or steve i'd be pretty pissed because every time something happens debbie is like i didn't do it mommy debbie is one to just immediately pin the blame on those two guys and get herself out of it and she does it again here but hey read his screenwriting book this was set up two previous times in the film so it's Chekhov's I'm innocent okay are Curtis and Steve are they just getting hauled off to juvie like I don't even know what's happening at the end they're being put in the back of a car it's not a police car because they don't have that kind of budget they're not even handcuffed it looks like I think they're being taken to Haddonfield Mental Hospital (laughs) (laughs) I think so and I definitely think with the look that they give Joyce and Timmy they plan to be back they're gonna kill those cops driving and take that car and come back their 11th birthday is going to look a lot like this one maybe it will be bloody though Did Joyce and Timmy's parents come home? There's two adults standing next to them. I think they finally came back from across the country. And Jose Ferrer's standing around. I mean, where's like Curtis's grandpa who's always defending him? What's he got to say now? (laughs) He's taking the ant poison. (laughs) And meanwhile, we get to see Debbie playing with a truck jack. I wonder what that could portend. Yeah, we know what that means. But she's not Debbie now. Now she is Beth. Does the mom know what's going on? Because now they've taken aliases. They're on the run. They're staying at motels. The mom's got to know what's going on at this point. I take it that she does when she makes her promise to be a good girl. She knew she was a bad girl. And she's like, I promise, mommy. Again, I think that actress, Debbie inspired casting she is pitch perfect evil blonde kid it's the bad scene all over again but you're right to emulate something successfully is truly a triumph in this feeble production (laughs) well Stuart, it's your birthday so we'll unwrap the final thoughts jacob Stuart, do you recommend bloody birthday can it even go for a brown arrow is what i'm wondering now jacob I mean, that is the question for me. Is this a brown arrow? Last time I said, happy birthday to me. I thought I was getting a Transformer. I got a GoBot. I know I'm getting a GoBot this time, but is it a Rock Lord? <laughs> like the worst of the GoBots? <laughs> it's fun to talk about this film and make fun of it. I feel like a brown arrow needs to be enjoyable to watch as well, though. Like I think about what they do on MST3K. Like If you had to watch those movies without people making fun of it, they're really bad movies that you don't want to sit through. The joy is listening to other people make fun of it this one doesn't even hit that 90 minute mark it felt like it was two hours long because it's got nothing to do there's no creative kills no blood i guess if you like titties and you don't know about the internet and all the free porn you could watch this movie but yeah it's a silly stupid movie that's incompetent but i 
just didn't have a lot of fun watching. I knew I'd have fun talking about it, but not watching it. It. I don't recommend anyone sit through this very unbloody birthday. Not recommend. Stuart. Yeah, it's five food stamps more epic than your average Super <laughs> 8 movie in 1981. I mean, it is really tawdry. And normally that can be an enjoyable thing, right? The more inept, the better. But these people do not know how to make a bad movie. They can't even graduate from porn. There are no Wes Craven. And yes, that is a severe damning insult because i hate Wes craven it should be fun that this is inept but honestly with a few tweaks this could be hitting campy notes and we could be having a really good time the fact is they're just blunders and (laughs) between the soundtrack that we can't hear anything the scratchy print the bad acting yeah this is a franchise that should not live to see another birthday arnie do you want to trade because i like the movie that you got and i i hate this film i'm not fond of regifting. i think that's kind of cruel but i'll do it because i'm gonna give this movie no a recommend no green or brown brown or green (laughs) here's the thing is i understand this movie is incredibly cheap and inept and just poor i get that but what i never had was any boredom while watching it i watched it and i just kept Mm. wishing when i'd gone on that trip with my friends and i took happy birthday to me This is the film we all gathered around hoping we were watching. Something with some gratuitous TNA, something with just some kills at regular intervals, something that is just a base slasher. Do I wish the gore was better? Yes. Do I wish that the motivations were clearer? Absolutely. But I really had fun watching these Really, even though this was made in 80, everything here has a 70s style, including the Debbie Harry and Eric Estrada posters on Julie Brown's wall. That was her dad, not Eric Estrada. (laughs) There is Eric Estrada up there. Peter Frampton, I saw, yes. (laughs) Van Halen, early days. Mm -hmm. The period, the poor performances, the regularity of the kills. I sat there and I'm like, damn it. This was the kind of bad horror movie I wanted Happy Birthday to me to be. So, you know, it's a brown arrow, it really is, because I know this is not a good movie, but we don't have that on our site. So when you go and look at the arrows, you're going to see one green one. Wow, that's, I'm stunned by that. I honestly, I can't imagine feeling like Bloody Birthday is better than Happy Birthday to me. No way. No, I mean, Happy Birthday to me primarily is ruined by that twist at the end, but I just like the strangeness about it. I definitely feel like that is the better one, and great. That means that we'll swap. That's the way it should have been. (laughs) Yeah, because that one was so elongated and so long between kills and so nonsensical. Here, at least... This wasn't nonsensical? Yeah. Here, at least what? I I wouldn't even want to see this man's porn. It's bad. (laughs) Here, at least, there were regularities of kills and the three kids. The three killer kids, I found them fun. Would I want a sequel? Hell no! I'm glad they never... According to IMDb Trivia, and maybe one of you can fucking translate this for me. Due to the lack of success of this film, never came to shoot its continuation. That sounds like bad auto-translate or something. (laughs) Probably written by the director himself. I can't wait to read his book. (laughs) I definitely had more fun talking about it with you guys than I had watching it, but... 
here's the thing. If you just like slasher films and you're not too discriminating. I feel like if you like tits, because there's not a lot of slashing in this. <laughs> yeah, I, and no way. I, I think you're really selling people a bad bag of goods to say that this is a good, bad movie. Well, not every birthday gift is a good one. Yeah, this is like homemade macaroni art or something like that. You know, <laughs> like when they make the homemade present and you're like, oh, God, what? Couldn't you just give me $5 or something? <laughs> well, I want to just thank and give a strong green arrow to Matt for donating to our show, supporting us so greatly and giving us at least this film was fun to rip apart whereas the last one i couldn't even have that fun so thank you i had a really fun time with bloody birthday okay and for another year uh we're spared i don't know what we're gonna do for an encore but we do know what we're doing next week yeah it's actually we got like six more years before our birthdays fall on a tuesday again so. oh okay we gotta wait for that eclipse <laughs> but don't wait to donate if you feel so moved to for, for six years, you could do that right now. Yes, absolutely. If there's any movie you want us to review, you can head. It's a larger donation, but we put a lot of time, research. We listen to banal discussions from the director as part of this. We give it the full treatment so you can donate or you can donate just a lot less. And if you do just even $10, you get to hear our bonus reviews coming out every month. Last month, we had Atomic Blonde as a bonus review. And earlier this month, we had another patron pick, The Legend of Hell House, that we reviewed. So more horror for this Halloween period. And in a couple more weeks for October, we're going to have another patron review, Get Out. Yeah, that was a big one. I mean, maybe people don't have any nostalgia for Hammer Horror and old British horror movies. Legend of Hell House is fun if you got that itch. But I think everyone likes to talk about Get Out. I have yet to see it. I'm going to be the newbie. I didn't get to it in theaters. And once we found out we were going to do it as a patron exclusive review, I just have intentionally not watched it. And also, our donation drive for fall is underway this Friday. Phantasm, this is available with a $10 donation to our show directly through the Classic Method, available on Podbean. And if you're a $10 or greater patron, you get the Phantasm series as well. Keep in mind, our fall donation drive, silver level, we're doing all five Phantasm films because you guys demanded it. Oh my god, so many times. Every year, I feel like it's just, when are you going to get the Phantasm? Well, we're here. Yeah, I hope the people who wanted it actually really wanted it and are going to donate to hear those shows because we were not going to do it. I don't think any of us knew this franchise. I had seen the first movie and liked it, but I just, it didn't seem like something I knew anything about the sequels or where it would be going. So yeah, thanks for the nudge. We'll get to another classic franchise that I guess did have a new installment last year. And then for $25 or more, Gold level, you get all Phantasm reviews, and then we're finally getting to it. Stuart, you've needled me or pinned me time and time again. How can we review all these horror franchises that never have gotten to Hellraiser? I was the one sitting back. We gotta wait for the reboot. Gotta wait for the reboot. Well, I've given up hope. I no longer have hope that it's ever going to have something worth discussing as a final installment. So we're doing all 
10 Hellraiser films. Maybe. I mean, again, we don't even know if this 10th one that they shot to keep the rights will be available. But when it is, we'll do it. And you'll definitely be getting nine wonderful <laughs> meat-ripping <laughs> adventures. You know, you're a bodice ripper so is a term for romancers. I don't know what you'd call this, but it's definitely a ripper, this movie. it's a, If you got a squeamish for torn flesh, this is the franchise for you. They're always strong, nine films in. Mm-hmm. And then our playing level, not now playing, but child's play, is also available for donation. All the details are at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Don't let Stuart's birthday be an unhappy, bloody one. Donate to Now Playing today. And on the main feed next Tuesday, our Death Wish series continues with Death Wish 2. So again, Matt, thank you for your donation. All patrons, all donors, thank you so much for your support of our show. And Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me for Stewart's birthday. And now it's time to blow out the candles. You're not quiet enough, children. You're not quiet enough. That bell has only signaled me to dismiss you. It doesn't mean you're dismissed. We'll sure make her quiet enough. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. When you are all sitting quiet and straight at your desk, I will let you go. You're not sitting straight enough. And special thanks to Matt for his support of Now Playing and picking this movie to be reviewed. I, I would just like to say how much I appreciate you. You can help Now Playing stay on the air and hear bonus reviews by joining our Podbean patron campaign. Backers of $10 or more receive access to patron-only reviews, including The Legend of Hell House, Galaxy Quest, Atomic Blonde, Monster Trucks, The Warriors, Coherence, and Hook. It's all you get for a quarter. If you want to see more, it's an extra dime. Okay, okay. Plus, come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each Tuesday for another in-depth movie review. Thanks to donors and patrons, there has been a new, free, Now Playing Podcast every single week for nearly seven years. I'd like to be dead. I shouldn't think about things like that. You can find those hundreds of reviews in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives. There, you can listen to reviews of film series such as Friday the 13th, Halloween, Psycho, Scream, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and many more. Daddy, Daddy, come here, I want to show you something. Want to wish Stuart a happy birthday? You can do it on Twitter, where we are at NowPlayingPod, or on our Facebook page. Links to our social media pages are at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Come on over right away and bring Steven. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss this film with other listeners. That's an interesting idea. What do you say we get a coke and talk about it some more? Now Playing is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Dedicated, honest, hardworking man. Now Playing is edited by David and Arnie. Why don't you go get the pruning shears and uh, we'll get this cleaned up before Mom and Dad get home, okay? Now Playing credit narration by Brock. What are you, some kind of little ghoul? This podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created or produced the film Bloody Birthday. 
Now Playing is an independent movie review podcast with no affiliation with any company involved in the publishing, creation, or distribution of this film or soundtrack. All audio clips and music used are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. The job of the police is to protect people and help them if they're in trouble. The police need everyone's cooperation. The opinions expressed at Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. Timmy, I know you're lying, so just tell me the truth. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Now, I don't want to see any of you running out of here like a bunch of hooligans. Dismissed. had won some awards for his independent film Starship Invasions. <laughs> <laughs> I will challenge that slightly and say what award and uh I yeah, come on. Do the cast keep their clothes on? Are you sure that won awards? I'm looking at IMDb. Right, I'm sorry. They got nothing about an award I'm in the so- trivia. I'm sorry, I will correct myself. <laughs>